Hi all, this is Ian. And this is Lauren. Before we get started today, we wanted to get all of our plugging business out of the way up front. I do not like it when you say plugging business, Ian. Neither do I. As hopefully many of you have heard us talk about before on this podcast, Lauren and I have been working on our first narrative audio drama, The Vanishing Act. Actually, it's a comedy, but yes. It is a weird and wild dive into the 1930s and features some of the guests you know and love from Not Another Film Podcast as over-the-top characters in pursuit of answers to a mysterious disappearance. Spooky. The first episodes are out now on all of your podcast providers, so please give us a download if you like what we do here. And if you listen to and enjoy the show, please make sure to leave us a review of some kind on whatever your preferred podcast platform is. A star-based review, actual written critique, and word of mouth are all still the best way to get a young baby bird podcast to grow into a giant dragon eagle with full-fledged sponsors. All of that was incredibly transparent. So yes, please, while you're listening to us gab about our favorite movies from childhood, subscribe to The Vanishing Act and leave us a review. And, like I promised before on this show, if you also want to leave us a review for Not Another Film Podcast, I'll read it on air. I'm not above it. He's not. So, again, the plan is to head on over to your podcast provider, subscribe today, and then let us and all of your in-person and digital friends know what you think about The Vanishing Act. And one more time so it's burned into your brains, The the Vanishing Vanishing Act. Act. And now, back to this week's episode. And on that note, folks, welcome to another episode of Not Another Film Podcast. This is the podcast where we take movies we used to love as kids and we re-examine them in the harsh, sobering, isolated light of 2020. My name is Ian Gears, I'm one of your co-hosts, and I'm joined by official Not Another Film Podcast all-star, Sam Rabotham. How are you? (laughs) I'm great, I didn't know it was official. Yeah, no, you'll you'll get your jacket in the mail. Great. (laughs) Yeah, we've switched just to jackets. Okay, okay. Actually, yeah, and when we start getting more than, like, five people coming mm-hmm. back, then we're going to switch to just patches that okay. you can iron on to your jeans. I love a pa- who, who doesn't love a good patch? Uh, anybody who was born after 1995. Yeah, there you go. That's who. Yep. Um, found them. And we're here talking about your choice of a movie, Sam. Mm-hmm. I reached out to you. I said, let's do something spooky. Yeah. I said, you know, the people asked for something spooky. <laughs> And you said that we should do. Money. <laughs> That's just my recommendation. Is that skit okay. alone? Um, we can end it. Uh, Great, we're done. <laughs> yep, that was it. Uh, we're doing 1982's The Thing. John Carpenter's The Thing. Mm-hmm. And good golly gosh, I am so happy we're doing this. Yeah, what a film! I will also say this kind of breaks my rule for the show mm-hmm. because I normally like to go with movies that. Not even I have watched in the past, like, few years. Oh, okay. And I actually convinced Lauren to watch this, like, a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. Because we were really feeling the woes of quarantine, and I've been, like... And it's a great quarantine movie. It's... it's Well, that's my question at the top, is, is this the best quarantine movie? I don't know about the best, because... What I would guess... you say that... Well, what's better than this? Well, if we're, if we're just talking... Panic Room? <laughs> no because I just watched no. that for the first time like six months ago not as good as this I mean I think I think you would get a lot of people say saying alien just just because okay. um, that you know there's something about 
The AFI we're, top you know, 100 get, list that makes people scared. Yeah, we're getting we're getting to this a little earlier than I had assumed, but you know, let's just let's just dive into it. I think there are a lot of similarities between this and Alien, and mm-hmm. they're you know very very uh, interlaced throughout the movie. Uh, but I think that a lot of people get drawn to Alien more because there isn't that that thing of like switching locations where this the base in the thing is so big that they get to go outside a whole bunch and go between all of these different parts of the base where as an alien once they're back on the ship for the last like hour of the movie whatever it is they're stuck there and so they can't you know they do have the option of in the thing of running out into the cold but they don't really know what's out there either. It just feels a little more spacey. You know, you get to breathe a little more. Yeah, I buy that. I think I prefer... I'm not. I'm going to tread carefully because I love Alien, and I think Alien's a near-perfect film. I prefer this movie as an analog to the quarantine we are living in now. Sure. Because there is actually... For as much amazing creature design as I'm sure we're going to talk about the thing itself is only on screen for like 10 minutes in this movie yeah and so much of this movie is about the paranoia mm-hmm. that comes with the living in isolation with a a thing that you do not understand that is picking people off and killing them and or hiding as them right in public yeah. which i got some questions about that later on as <laughs> okay well. great um regardless welcome to the not another film podcast hall of fame john carpenter a couple years ago we did halloween hell yeah uh which i love and i can't wait to rewatch this halloween season you know uh, actually i was i was kind of flipping between two john carpenter movies when you initially said something spooky i thought oh i want to do halloween but i remembered that you all uh all had already done that uh, when the new one came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, oh, maybe I'll do The Fog because I love The Fog. That is such a great movie. That so it, underrated. I feel like very few people have seen. So if you haven't seen The Fog, please go watch that. Pause this podcast right now. Go watch The Fog. Then come back. Great, you're back. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but I, I sort of, it, it dawned on me that that, movie didn't really come into my life until like only a couple years ago so Mm -hmm. I wanted to go back to The Thing because that is a movie that like I really associate with like my teenage years when I first like really got into horror movies because I used to be a little scaredy cat who didn't like any horror movies and this was kind of one of the first that really drew me in to like the fold of being a real the really big horror fan that I am today I yeah because okay so two two questions yeah. one of them when did you see this movie for the first time so I saw this in high school I was probably around 15 or 16 um, and okay. I rented it uh, from the narrow video in North I was Virginia. just hoping you were gonna say yep, that of course shout out to the narrow video which I think may have been saved I don't remember what state it's in it was in trouble and then i think the video store itself is gone but the theater is still there yeah they're like selling popcorn outside and you can like walk up and they'll like whisper three lines from a christmas story to you and that'll like you know keep you coasting until the next time maybe theaters open up again well regardless if you still have a local video store in your 
area, wherever you may be, please go frequent that video store because that's an experience that we need to hold on to. If I can throw on my nostalgia cape for a second, and now I'm going to take it off again. This uh, was beautiful, the cape. Yeah, so so I, uh, again, this was a time where I was like, yeah, you know, I was starting to hear about these, like, older horror movies, and I knew, you know, I had seen Halloween at that point, of course, but, like, um, you know, that's the whole sci-fi aspect of the thing was, like, super grabby to me because... I love sci-fi as well, and I've loved that since I was a youngin, thanks to, like, Star Wars and, you know, the other sci-fi stuff that we get as children. Star Trek. Yeah. What's that? Oh, don't don't ask about it. Don't oh, worry okay. about it. Cool. It's you got to have CBS All Access to know about it, really. <laughs> cool. That and little don't... that little segment should make a, a good chunk of people real happy, so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that that was Rise the- of Skywalker or nothing. <laughs> Fuck you guys. I'm glad they saved that fucking Wookiee. It's my favorite movie. And we'll give the chance some people to leave. <laughs> and okay, we'll continue now. Kylo Ben is the best character that's ever been in Star Wars. Oh, we got a few more people leaving. Just let them get out the door. And all right. Oh, okay, we're back. Uh, yeah, so that that was the first first time that I saw it was was at home by myself I think I was uh, alone I I do have a weird distinct memory of like someone walking in while I'm watching that the kind of first transformation scene uh, with the dogs and then giving me a look and then immediately walking out <laughs> so I don't recall who this person is in my life but I was it a good g- g- ghost? It was not a good g- g- ghost. It was a real p- 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 person. Oh, um, and it's the spooky I, season, Sam. <laughs> I like to I like to think that that whoever that person was, it's the only snippet of the thing they have seen in their life. <laughs> One that would hope. turn me off from this movie so much. Yeah, if, only, if the first thing that I saw of this film <laughs> was one of the character transformations when I was like a kid. I'd be like, I'm fucking done. I'm never watching this movie again. Yeah. Um, okay, my other question was, mm-hmm. because we, we did go to high school together for a year. <laughs> um, it was, was two years, sir. No, it was one year. Math is it was not one my year. strong suit. <laughs> yeah. It was your junior year, my senior year. Oops. <laughs> I, don't mean to, I don't mean to strong arm you here, but... Um, yeah, so... But I remember vividly seeing um uh paranormal activity in theaters mm-hmm. at macarthur one day and i can't remember because i remember going with a bunch of our friends and i can't remember if you were there for that were you there for that i was not die but that was you i believe you had a halloween party maybe very shortly after that uh, Perhaps. Or some kind of get together because i remember you all talking about it and me being like I don't know if I want to see this movie. It says scary. It was scary. When I saw that movie, I was freaked out. Um, but yeah, because I, I had a very similar way of coming to this. Uh, I was really not a fan of horror. Uh, I loved science fiction uh, growing up, but really didn't like horror movies. Uh, and then, as but I was always curious about them. Like, mm-hmm. I was always like, I don't want to see Saw but I want to know what it's about. So I would, like, Wikipedia them and, like, read 
stuff. And then I eventually, like, this was like in middle school. And then in mm. high school, I started watching a lot more of it. Um, and this will go, this will come back when we eventually do this movie on the podcast. But like, the weird big turning point for me was finally going to see The Ring mm. in theaters yeah. for like somebody's birthday party. And it was like that feeling of just like, I hated every minute of that. But it felt so good. Like, you know, you kind of get that, like, like horror, there's kind of like a fix of just kind of like, I need to feel that adrenaline again. I need yeah, to feel you, that, like... Once you're done, you get to give a nice big sigh of relief. You're like, thank yeah. God that's over. And you feel alive again. Exactly. And it's so much fun. Like The, the movie I really thought you were going to choose, and I almost pushed you on this, was I really thought you were going to go with Drag Me to Hell. Because we both love that movie. I heavily considered it, but this... This one more screamed like movie from my past. This was like that's great. It, this is very high on like my top one hundred movies of all time list. Um, I think it's somewhere in like the twenties or thirties. Uh, but in general, John Carpenter makes at least three appearances on that list as well. So yeah. I have a very special place in my heart for John Carpenter. We'll Mr. get into Carpenter Johnny rankings, C. yeah, towards the end, because I, I definitely want to ask about Carpenter rankings. Yeah. Um, sweet, yeah, but I had a very similar thing. I think I saw this movie, like, once in high school, like, late one night, mm-hmm. um, and then I, I honestly had not seen it again until about last year, um, and I remember staying home one night. I didn't have anything to do, and I just turned it on, because it was on one of the streaming services. And I was like, my obsession with this movie got reignited. And I was like, holy shit, this film is incredible. The acting is amazing. In fact, in fact I think I know what it was. We did Escape from New York on this podcast uh, a couple of years ago with Christopher Hainsworth, who was our guest. And that inspired me to start re-looking at a lot of Kurt, old Kurt Russell movies mm. or like 80s Kurt Russell. And I was like, oh shit, I haven't seen the thing in a long time. And then rewatched it. And did, man, my guy is amazing. Like, I'm I'm still happy Harrison Ford played Han Solo, but man, Kurt Russell would have been a great second choice. Yeah, he um, he has a certain uh, je ne sais quoi in this movie, where it's like there are moments where you're like, is he giving any effort into this at all? <laughs> and then it kind of dawns on you that like, oh no, that's just his acting style that makes it seem like he's a regular person who doesn't give a shit about what's going on in this movie. But yeah, hold on. I actually have the really note. Good job at it. I have the note here about that. Um, oh, ma, 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 ma. Yeah. So it says in the in the screenplay for this movie, what was written for McCready, like under like the character description, was just McCready, thirty five, helicopter pilot, likes chess, hates the cold. The pay is good enough. That's I, all. <laughs> it, it, that's there, and it's like, yeah, that's that dude. Mm-hmm. Ticks all and those he's boxes. In, he's incredible in this, but and especially because like see, after seeing movies like Escape from New York and like uh, um, Star Kid and like a bunch of the other movies that he was in in like the in the eighties, you're just kind of like, dude, this guy, like he's got so many different gears that he can shift into, and I think actually that his performance in this movie is what escalates this movie from just being like a fun kind of like creature feature Mm -hmm. uh, into being like a legitimate terrifying experience because they none of these characters and I kind of just had this realization last night watching it but none of these characters act like they're in a horror film yeah so that was another thing that I I noticed in a note that I took 
is that kind of across the board with like and especially with 80s horror movies that you have so many instances of the characters making these really bad decisions that get them kind of looped into this more trouble and kind of like you know the things that kind of lead into the big scares of the movie are things of like oh that person shouldn't go in there they should really Mm -hmm. think twice about doing that whereas in this movie for the most part people are making the right decisions along the way everyone is super smart like genuinely like like for them like they're like dumb mistakes that get made but they're mistakes that get made where you kind of understand, well, it's like, well, the character wouldn't know that. So of course they're going to make that. Like when Clark is like, it's like, did you spend time alone with this dog? And it's like, yeah, why wouldn't I? Yeah. I wanted the dog to feel comfortable here. I'm a dog guy. Like I spend, I spend time alone with dogs all the time. Why wouldn't I spend time alone with this dog? I know he's really well behaved for a Norwegian dog, but you know, seems like a normal dog. And, and the, you know, when they first like kind of bring in the remains from the Norwegian base, they're like, we should burn this. Right. And they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. That's a good idea. But then before they can have a chance to do it, shit goes sideways. Yeah. Which makes this the movie. Well, and again, and, and like in, in any horror movie, I think this is the one big pro Trump thing about this movie is it's like the, the, idea to pursue science ultimately fucks up these people's lives so if they hadn't wanted to do an autopsy they wouldn't have really discovered a Mm -hmm. lot of this shit but instead they did um so let's get into it this movie begins with uh and i always forget this movie starts this way because i always think this movie is going to be a lot more like sophisticated than this yeah. but I love how B-movie this movie starts where they're just like no this is a fucking alien like it's like they this, really this, do hand it to you yeah they're like no this is a spaceship it's outside of earth and it's like yeah maybe I'll land on earth and it goes and lands on earth and that's the beginning of this movie it, and then we start to get like from the very beginning of the the opening credits too you get that incredible Ennio Morricone score like with just the really deep synth like just underneath it uh one thing i found to be kind of fun a little trivia here was morricone won a razzie for this score for worst score yes he did (laughs) and then moments of the score that were unused were reused in the hateful eight Mm. which won him his first oscar you know, it's so, it's aging like a fine wine. That deep, it really is. That deep, menacing synthesizer. But it's uh, so we so we get that we get the spaceship. Boom, we're in Antarctica. It's 1982, and this fucking dog is running for his life from, from something you never thought you'd see—a helicopter of angry Norwegian people. <laughs> And there are I I checked the time code once that helicopter finally lands down at the base. You know, the, I mean, there are cuts away in between, you know, a few seconds here and there to kind of introduce the characters at the U.S. base. But for, you know, the first eight minutes of this movie is all helicopter flying and someone shooting at a dog. And like barely, yeah, barely any dialogue. There's like a really sparse amount of dialogue. I think Bill Lancaster, who wrote this script, they said he had a lot of trouble with like the second and third act because he adapted it from the um, the 1937 book short story. Um, find out where that title is there, but he adapted it from the 1937 short story, and 
essentially only had like 40 pages of script. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that and makes like, sense. Well, yeah. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, we'll kind of figure out what happens along with this. And so the actors, a lot of the actors had input in how their characters evolved and how their characters would speak. Um, which was part of the appeal to a lot of the actors in the process. I was finding that like Keith David, Kurt Russell, Wilford Brimley, TK Carter, a lot of them kind of came on board because they knew they were going to get opportunities to help create these characters hmm. whole cloth, which I think is part of the thing that I, that makes the most sense about this movie is it feels like so lived in. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I mean, because so, they've, they've been there for, like, uh, you know, it, I don't ever think it's... I think they've ex- been there for six months. Yeah. yeah. But I don't think it's ever stated that explicitly, but we get the sense that they've been there for a long time and that, you know, things are starting to wear on them in general. And, and we don't, like, get, like, they don't McBain it at all with doing, like, a, you know, and next week we're all going home. <laughs> like, there's no mention of that, so there's, like... <laughs> You have no idea how long they could still be there. Right. Like this could be the beginning of like a two-year endeavor, chilling in in Antarctica. Would you ever take this job? I think it depends. Well, that was the other thing that I wanted to know. What are they researching? I exactly. love that they don't tell you. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I could see myself going on some kind of research expedition, but I would like to know what it's about instead they, of. I found like some theories online that were saying that they think it's a um it's a cold war post so it's essentially like the government was afraid like that the cold war was not actually over mm. so they were keeping people in places like antarctica and you know uh, other like harsh points in canada whatever just to try and be ready in case an attack came from somewhere that you wouldn't expect which would also explain why there's so much artillery at the outpost because otherwise there's no fucking reason why a bunch of scientists need cabinets full of guns (laughs) (laughs) unless that's part of the carpenter commentary on just like americans and their love for guns which very well could be because the dude's a 70s hippie Mm -hmm. but um, so yeah, that was one of my questions as well. It's just like I don't know what like what would have to go wrong in my life to take this job. I mean, right now it doesn't seem to matter. Yeah, yeah, maybe what's, that's it. What's the difference? But to like leave one quarantine to get into another quarantine where it's just colder. Mm-hmm. I also have questions about like how does Fuchs get his weed? I wrote that exact same thing. How number one? How much did he bring? <laughs> The dude must have brought pounds of weed. He is so cavalierly smoking in this movie. He's smoking at like three in the afternoon. Also, what is his job? He doesn't do like what is his is he the demolitions guy? Does he he's not the cook. Like There yeah, there are a lot of unclear points about this movie that it was very clear that John Carpenter just said, eh, they'll figure it yeah. out. I imagine Fuchs is like, well, I'm the ping pong guy. Like that's my thing. Like you got the doc over there, and you got the guy who runs everything and keeps all the keys on him. You got Nalls who's cooking, How and then I'm all the these patches. <laughs> and, and me, I play ping pong once a day with a guy named Windows who does, you know, he's like the Sam Levinson character from Freaks and Geeks. He's just hanging out on the ones and twos all day. Um, 
Yeah, so that so we get that. The incredible opening of this movie with McCready, with Kurt Russell's character, where he's playing chess against the computer. I love this opening for a character so goddamn much. It's interesting that you said the, the thing in the script about uh, him loving chess, because that's the only instance that we get of him, you know, like playing chess. And you would think that that would kind of like inform the decisions he's making within the movie and that he would, you know, be more strategic about like, ooh, let's let's figure out how to like play these people like they're chess pieces. And, you know, I feel like that's kind of a modern day thing that a modern screenwriter would do. Whereas in almost every situation in this movie, when he gets in trouble, it's either like tie these people up or I'm going to blow everybody here up. And those See, are my only two options. Oh, but I love it. I love it because it to me it strikes me as someone who fancies themselves an intellectual but in actuality isn't. Like he loves chess because I do think you can make that reading because the big thing that ends up happening there that I do think is a microcosm for the entire movie is he thinks he's won. The computer's like, "Sorry dog, I beat you." In those exact words. And then he takes the scotch that he's drinking and just pours it into this and fucking ruins this computer. It is the 80s. These things are like gold to you. This is a Fabergé egg that's been put in your lap and he's throwing fucking scotch over this thing. Almost as cavalierly as Fuchs is smoking weed in the middle of an Antarctic outpost. And and the thing blows up. like it, Or it starts yeah. to fizzle and like, you know, catches fire. But it's like that is a microcosm for McCready's entire, like... It's strategy throughout this entire movie is I think I got this and then it's like you don't got this and it's like all right I guess fire like I guess I'll, I guess blunt force trauma is gonna be what I go with um so I don't know like I I think that tracks for him yeah it, because I I agree the first time I saw this movie I think in fact I know I remember being like I don't think any of the acting is very good because it was so anti horror movie anti what I was used to in mm-hmm. horror movies. Yeah. Um, where it's like this movie, like these guys are playing this, like it's fucking 12 angry men. And then an alien shows up. 12 angry men and an alien <laughs> and a baby. <laughs> that's I was going to say. If Steve Gutenberg played windows, that's all I wanted. Um, all right. So this dog, this dog, the Norwegian flight, the, the helicopter, Talk to me about what happens to this helicopter, because they kind of just they swing around. They're shooting into the snow and flying real low. Uh, (laughs) Keep going. See how far this can go. uh, 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 I panic when I have to rhyme. So don't put me on the spot. Oh, no. Um, But and then when they land, they're just like I I. Part of me wishes we could have subtitles for what these Norwegians are saying. And if I had more time to do research, I would try to figure it out. But they're just screaming at the Americans who are just, for all they know, just playing with a dog and just start shooting at all of them. Yeah. Because, I, you know, we understand later that they know something that we don't as the audience. How do you not know that from the very beginning of them trying to shoot? The, you, what you just like think that Norwegian people are just like, God damn it, it's Man, a German shepherd. Dogs. Pull out the guns. <laughs> Get the flamethrower. It's another German shepherd gotten into my stuff. 
But uh, a German Shepherd fucked my wife. <laughs> Blow up that Shepherd. <laughs> and then, I mean, we—that is the first moment that is kind of like outwardly graphic. Is this dude just gets shot straight through the face? Hardcore. And then a few minutes later, we get a nice close-up of it, as if we, as if we didn't know what had happened. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I would say like, like yeah, I want that thing explained to me, but that's literally what the 2011 thing does. Yeah, I, f- I mean, that's what I figured. I have never seen it, but I, as I was watching it, yeah, the original yesterday i was like i bet when they're walking around the the base the norwegian base for the first time the movie is just like hey remember that hey remember that hey remember that it's the whole goddamn movie man it sucks it's so and it also i mean like i was reading up a lot of stuff on it and there was apparently like there's gonna be a lot of you know creature effects and puppetry and animatronics like this movie was but then, like, the studio was kind of just like, nah, just make it all CGI, and the CGI looks like shit, and, like, you know, it's still the kind of, like, Lovecraftian creature design thing, but it's, like, you see how, like, the two dudes' faces get, like, you know, morphed together, and, like, you see how all this stuff ha- And there's, like, a little bit of that, like, you know, memberberry syndrome to it, but ultimately it's like, I don't care about this. And there's a dog guy and you know, you're like, well, I guess the dog guy's going to make it because one of his dogs is about to get thinged. But yeah, I mean, it's, there's nothing, there's nothing to be gained about explaining that stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, anyway, they're like, well, now we know that there's a Norwegian base nearby. We should go check out what's going down at this Norwegian base. So let's get McCready. McCready, you're going to fly us down to this thing. It's going to be dope as fuck. McCready's like, okay, but there's a whiteout coming, guys. Like, this is not going to be good. Like, there's a giant-ass storm coming. And they're like, they pretty much pull, like, a Marty McFly, where they're like, okay, are you chicken, McCready? (laughs) And he's like, I'll show you. I'll put my cowboy hat on sideways. Because he's a man's man. Okay, I do want to talk about the cowboy hat sideways, because I think that also is indicative of a much larger theme in this movie, which is... Kurt Russell uh, as the king of quarantine fashion. <laughs> big old beard that took him a year to grow. Big old, a great big bushy beard, <laughs> in the words of Jim Broadbent. Long, like flowing, gorgeous locks. A fucking cowboy hat, steampunk goggles. <laughs> it was like a Hawaiian shirt under three layers of like hoodies and like bantha skin and then like fucking like two different boots like this dude looks so crazy one of the noisiest (laughs) leather jackets i've ever heard in my life holy shit and it's great because you would realize you you know if, if you didn't need this venture point like if i was not living with lauren and felt the need to try and like dress up for her or shower for her every day who knows the kind of shit i'd be trying to get away with who knows? I tell you what, I'd have a mustache at this point. I'd have a full-on just mustache. Now and it would be Now gross. is your chance to do it. Yeah, exactly, but I can't I can't do it. Cuz I look to Lauren and I'm just like I don't want to put her through that. But you could. I can't. I could, but I'd be like I I don't have, you know what it is? I don't have the real estate to be able to pull pull off a purchase like that. I don't have 
I don't have whatever, you know, confidence Kurt Russell. I'm not Kurt Russell. I'm no Snake Plissken. I wish I was, but I'm not. Okay, um, here, here's a pitch. Grow go a for mustache, it. put on an eye patch. <laughs> all right, all right, I'm into it. Can I grow, if I grow out the mustache really long in the sides, can I put beads in it, like a pirate of the Caribbean? If you get that far, you can do whatever you want, princess. Oh, uh, see, it's this kind of yes-manning that I need. This is why, no, fuck it. I'm gonna go quarantine in Antarctica for six months. <laughs> Nothing Let's bad's gonna happen go. to me now. Um, so we go back into the outpost where this dog is just roaming around. You automatically know this dog is evil as fuck because every time you get dog vision, it is the camera gets real steady and real slow. Mm-hmm. And that dog, give that dog an Oscar. It's an A plus dog acting in this movie. It's the best dog acting since the mask. It's the best dog acting. <laughs> I'll go to the wall for Milo in the mask. I think that dog is the best dog in any movie. Um, but this dog is great and evil as fuck. A very evil dog. Gives some very um, knowing looks. While they're going, well, McCready and I guess he's with Blair. Yeah. Or is he with, he's with Blair. He's with the other doctor. He's with going through the um, Blair, I think, at that yeah, point. Yeah, Wilford Brimley's character. Yeah. Going through the Norwegian outpost. And... And here's one of my questions. How long had it how long had these angry helicopter riding Norwegians been chasing this dog? Because this outpost looks like it has been abandoned for a thousand years. Yeah, I mean, that would be something to answer from the thing remake, but who has time or patience to watch that movie? <laughs> It legit. I mean, I got about three quarters of the way through, and I don't know why I couldn't just pull the trigger on the last twenty minutes. But I was just like, I'm done with this. I think I texted you. I was like, my love of Mary Elizabeth Winstead apparently does have limits, and it's the last twenty minutes of this movie. Can only take you so far. It really can. It's like she's a great actress. Give her something to do. I'm sure, she could do something. Um, yeah. But they find this thing, this body. Uh, and they bring it back to camp with them. You want to describe what they bring back to the uh, to their outpost? It, it impossible to put in words, probably, but I'll try. Basically, imagine you took a person, and then that, that person was made of play doh. Chill. Uh, and then you just put it against a wall and then punched it a bunch of times. And maybe yeah. maybe crafted another like half of a head onto it. Yep. I think that's and oh, and then fuse it with a spider. Yep. And then you've you've got what they bring back to the camp. So, Sam, you've not only just described what they bring back to the camp, but you've also described the entire creation and execution process by which Floop creates his Fooglies in the Spy Kids movie. He literally takes his Play-Doh, puts it into a machine, and voila, Tony Shalhoub has six faces on his head. So, John Carpenter is Floop. Floop. He is Floop. That would Either sense. that, or the lead of the new Thing movie should have been Alan Cumming as Floop. We'll have to get Carpenter on the phone to tell him he has to go back in time and fix that. 
That's fine. I got a lot of questions for Carpenter. Namely, why are you attaching yourself to a remake of this movie? I don't understand it. Namely, but, how'd you grow that mustache? How do you how do you still have that mustache? Um, and also, can I see a new uh, an early screening of Halloween Kills? Because I really want to. Um, yeah, so we got that. Uh, I love the detail that Nalls, uh, played by T.K. Carter, is constantly on skates. Yes. And he's just kind of zooming through. Gliding. This. Yeah. It's so fun. And I hope that I just, the only thing I wrote here is like, I hope this was an acting choice by TK Carter. Cause I just think it's fucking choice. It's so great. Um, but yeah, so this double faced, you know, whatever you call it, this foogly they find, um, is just wild. It's the stuff of nightmares. Uh, Rob Bowden, who did the effects for this movie as well as the effects for The Fog and did all the creature design for this movie. (laughs) This kills me. This man was 21 years old when he designed this movie. This movie has maybe the best creature design of any movie I've ever seen. And the the practical effects of this movie are still highly unnerving to this day. And that is like saying a lot about whenever. Yeah. Whenever you watch like the thing go through its transformations, it like it stirs my stomach in a way that is like that not a lot of horror movies can do, let alone horror movies that are almost 40 years old. Yeah. It's so disturbing. It's been, like when you see, we'll get to it later because one of my questions I have, which we can start late, you know, kind of spooning this in, is like, what's your favorite iteration of the thing? There are many to choose from. Um, there are many to choose from. There are many within one. There's like six different ones within the dog transformation. Yeah, I think, I think for me, like the, I, 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 I will say the the most unnerving one for me is when um the head i forget whose head it is but it separates from the body and then starts crawling around like a spider yeah that is yeah. truly the stuff of <clears throat> nightmares for me and so like when when you see the the neck skin like stretching out that thing is oh. that's what terrifies me but it's the, his it's because it's the same guy it's his head just growing yeah over and over and over again. But I'm so happy to see that, like, I think the modern analog, we'll get to this later, but the other one that you could attribute this to is, like, knowing that there's this secret thing that's traveling around an incredibly isolated area. Uh, is that, like, oh, this is, like, this is legit what the White House was a week and a half ago? <laughs> yeah. And, and a friend of mine texted me that image of that actor, like, where his head kind of looks like a giant snake and he's like the redhead guy and his eyes are opening and it's like, this is what Trump looks like now. And I was like, man, that is the most accurate shit I've ever seen and I would pay so much more. I don't but, think this movie is probably as gross as Trump was, but, you know. But I'm so done. I'm I'm so done and I'm so over and, uh, like any and all entertainment that is created about this administration. I just don't care anymore. I don't care about the SNL skits. I don't care about the fucking cartoon show about him. I don't, you know, I love the actors involved. I don't want to watch the Comey rule. I just, I don't care. I don't care about any of it. That's the only, when in 20 years, 
when they make the movie about the Trump administration, I want it to be a quarantine horror film. (laughs) (laughs) Reminiscent of the thing. (laughs) Well, you can make that happen. I will. Because it's a fine line between sketch comedy and horror film. And I think you could ride that line. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, so we... I guess we could dive in. Clark, who's in charge of all the dogs, puts this spooky dog... (laughs) I love this so much because it's it's a theme that we'll see later on. Puts the spooky Norwegian dog into the kennel with like five other German shepherds. Five good boys. Very good boys who are all sleeping. All sleeping. This dog goes dead center. This diva bitch goes dead center in this pen. And... All of the as soon as Clark walks away, all of the other dogs are like, "Nope, don't like this guy." And this dog starts growling, and legit, you bounce. It goes shot on Norwegian dog, who looks concentrated as fuck, growling. Shot on good boys, like, oh fuck, this guy's no no good. Shot back on Norwegian dog, and he's already like sixty miles an hour changing. <laughs> like he's like wasted no time. He's like, all right, fuck it, I'm gonna become something else now. <laughs> he's got a head coming out of his mouth. He's got it's, tentacles coming out of his back. Oh, and they like oh, I hate this. They like spring and they grab the other dogs and they like, you know, wrap them up and like you know tighten up and they asphyxiate them. They like spray acid on one of the dogs, yeah. which I, this is legit. This shot just really upsets me because it just meant that a dog had to be sprayed by something. And is um, clearly very uncomfortable with it. Yeah. The dog's not having a good time. Um, but yeah, <laughs> like, I don't know. It must take them like 20 minutes to all be like, I think something's going on with those dogs. <laughs> like we, gotta, we better head back. Thank God this thing is uh, working on animatronic speed. Cause it's not going too, too fast in this transformation, which goes to my overall idea about the thing itself. The thing likes to take its time. Mm-hmm. It's a showman, you know, it wants you to see the work. Yeah. It, it really, it, it, you know, it, it it has its own strategy of like, you know, aside from the fact that it starts to take the form of other things to kind of lie in wait until the right moment. And throughout the movie doesn't come out until right when it wants to. And yeah. I think that's what makes the the. I mean, I, I kind of hesitate to call them jump scares just because they i i kind of hate that term and i hate how kind of co-opted it's been to describe like a lot of great horror moments but the the moments when the thing shifts very quickly as opposed to kind of this slow transformation that's what mm-hmm. makes it the the scare so unpredictable in this movie yeah cuz you kind of never know you never know what its tactic is going to be right. in that moment. Mm-hmm. Cause like when they get, when they get back to the pen and they're like, well, all these dogs are pretty much toast and there's this giant spooky alien here. I mean, first thing it does is try to escape through the roof. Uh, and they're like, get childs, get young, hot Keith David in here <laughs> and give him a flamethrower. Tell him to bring that flamethrower. <laughs> which is so and he does it without great. hesitation he's like all right they must need it 
Yeah. Um, so Keith David just like, which I, I hope that that was like, just like, that's just, that's his only thing. It's like Fuchs is the ping pong guy. Knowles is the chef. McCready does. He's on helicopter patrol. Childs was just there in case you need a flamethrower guy. And, and it shows he's, he's great with a flamethrower. Other question. Is this the best use of a flamethrower in a movie? Until Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. And Kurt Russell connection. So there you go. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I I mean, the only other instance I can think of of a flamethrower in a movie, and I'm probably forgetting a lot of very iconic ones, but uh, Tropic Thunder is coming to mind. <laughs> that's good. That's a much better one. I thought you were going to say, like, Saving Private Ryan, and I was like, that's not a fun choice. <laughs> I think what the what kind of puts this one at a slightly lower rung is just how many times the flamethrower does get used. Because that first time when he comes into the dog pen and he shoots the flamethrower, it's so invigorating. And then we get, like, at least 20 more flamethrower shots throughout the movie. And a lot of them don't work. Yeah. You learn how fickle a flamethrower is. John Carpenter is here to show you, like, don't, you know what, too much of a good thing results in mistakes. So don't go for it all the time. Don't go chasing flamethrowers. Yeah, but they use a flamethrower on this thing. They're like, well, uh, glad we're all on the same page. There's a fucking creepy-ass thingamajig in here. Maybe we shouldn't have gone investigating that Norwegian outpost. Maybe we shouldn't have brought back this two-faced Floops Fugli. And maybe there's a good reason that that thing is burnt to a crisp. Um, so they take the, it's the dog's body that they take next and they start doing the autopsy on. Yeah. 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 So they start doing an autopsy on the dog's body. I have when the dog's face splits open and it looks kind of like a Venus flytrap. Mm-hmm. It looks like the plant in the 95 Jumanji. It looks like the, the creature from Stranger Things. Yeah. The Demogorgon. That's a good call. Imagine if that show was just practical effects. That'd be great. Oh. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, they, they start doing an autopsy on this dog. And you just get this incredible... It's one of my favorite shots in the movie of the doctor, like, looking at this burnt, horrifying, like, like smoke is coming off of it. It's sizzling. It's bubbling. It's pussy. It's disgusting. Like, thing... And he goes and reaches for his scalpel. It's like the like a little baby scalpel, and he's just even just like, "Fuck this! This is not going to do anything." <laughs> and he starts doing an autopsy, and it's like, guess what? All the organs in here, completely normal. It's got a it's got a whole respiratory system. It's got uh, you know it's got arteries. This thing's healthy as a as healthy as Michael Phelps, who's also a thing. And then. There, you know, everyone's like, no, it's not normal. <laughs> Let's yeah. kill it. But it's like, then it, things just keep getting out of their hands. That's the thing about this movie is it keeps kind of turning over once they're like, okay, we figured it out. Yeah. Now let's go get it. No, yeah. you have not figured but it out. The most accurate, like, modern analog to the thing itself is Apple software. Because once you figured it out, it immediately has a new version that's already ready to go. And again, it slowly <laughs> integrates itself into your system. 
because it wants you to know that you're going to be getting a new and improved and better version of something you already have that you did not need an improved version of. And when you get it, it looks completely different and does all of the same things, but has completely different commands. And that's the thing. That's the thing. <laughs> um, yeah, so we get this... Uh, the next really kind of big thing that happens is they're like, okay, we're going to try and... Because at this point, they don't know that it's attached itself to something else. So they're like, well, we're going to kind of go off and do our own thing now. Turn to the world, we get the great McCready line where he's just like, I'm out of here. I just want to go to my shack and get drunk. Because I've seen some shit tonight I have not wanted to see. Um, and this is where they get... It's the character... Bennings, right? Is the the yes. redhead dude? Yeah. yeah, the next guy who gets it, and they're like, "Well, Bennings is uh, just broke out of this fucking room, like, and ran out of <laughs> into the cold." And they're like, "Well, sounds like something a thing would do, so we should go out and find this guy." Again, Bennings, just like your old version of Garage Band, is just chilling in the middle of the snow, waiting to turn into a thing. And he already looks a lot like an alien. So mm. this should have been your first indication. Is he also the only person in this movie who kind of looks like a scientist? <laughs> <laughs> or anybody who is of a research capacity? How badly do you think they wanted Dreyfus for this? Probably pretty bad, but, you know. To lend some credibility. <laughs> Can't get that Dreyfus money. No, and it's like, Brimley's great. Like, you got Wilford Brimley. Like, he's kind of disgruntled. And, I wouldn't buy him as a scientist, though. I'd buy him as, like, a swimming coach yeah. that, like, made his way onto this outpost. Um, so here's my other big question. At this point, because the thing obviously attached itself to Bennings. Why didn't it attach itself to Clark? I mean, it's... It, there's no real rhyme or reason to it, I guess. I mean, you could probably yet another thing answered by the thing remake. Why did it attach itself to the dog? Yeah, you know. Well, it knew it knew it, it, it knew a dog's life was better. Yeah, I guess a strange Norwegian probably would have been weird, but I don't know. You'd think it could change languages or something i was gonna say not even an alien wants to learn another language from english um but yeah i think it's i have no answer for this and the only thing i can come up with is exactly what you said i think it just goes to the unpredictability of what it is we're dealing with right um anyway they light bennings up with this fucking blowtorch this dude goes up like a goddamn christmas tree it is remarkable (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they do that part of what's so great about this movie so much practical shit this was actually a man that was lit on fire in the middle of the snow it looks great it does look great <laughs> it's so good but yeah this dude like as soon as they corner it and they're like hey Bennings and he's like yeah yeah what's up are you a thing and he's like Aah! and he turns into a thing immediately because again no chill it's like, I'll attach myself to something else. Don't you fucking worry about it. I'm the thing. Um, they go back inside because they're like, well, where was Blair? And we get the truly most heinous shit any character does in this movie. You want to talk us through what happens here? So uh, we can <laughs> we can call it a meltdown. 
<laughs> Call it what you want. Uh, but it it results in an axe and a gun being thrown around a room and uh, just just shooting at everybody. Anybody who, which you know, I think you call it heinous. <laughs> I think it's a decent reaction to what's going on. It. The, the more I've seen it, the more the reaction has made sense. When I first saw it, I was just this like, this guy's the thing. Kill him. Like The understanding that everyone is a suspect at, at, to him at that point. You know, it, it, he, there's no one he, who can be trusted. So the best thing to do is just kill all of that, like lock down everything, cut all communications, don't call for a rescue team get them let them all die here because that's better than you know that ultimately depending on how you read the ending might be what saves humanity in this in the world of this movie if you yeah and maybe if you even think humanity can be saved we'll get to the ending and some notes that carpenter has left uh later on but yeah, it's the first introduction that like well, of the idea. I think it's the first time it's explicitly said like we can't trust anybody. Yeah, I love this meltdown. I think Wilford Brimley's great in it. Uh, it is so funny every time I watch it. He's because he he's wild. He's he is nuts, and you don't expect a man. Like no offense to Wilford Brimley. In fact, I think like all the more power to him. You don't expect someone who looks like Wilford Brimley to move. As to move like this guy does. Yeah. Like, this guy's got some moves. And it's pretty remarkable. Uh, but yeah, he is destroying the comm system. He's destroying everything. And so now they're pretty much like, great. We're all either going to have to kill each other or kill this thing. Some people believe it's already dead because Bennings, you know, was the last person who had it. And again, we remind you folks, he lit up like a fucking Christmas tree. Um. And so they're like, well, we really, really don't know. I guess we're going to split up and try and see if there's any indication of, of what's going on here. Um, I love the other thing I really like about this, like, let's split up scene is they're like, cool. Uh, cool. Like, Fuchs, you go with Windows. And Fuchs is like, well, I don't want to go with Windows. <laughs> and then the first, and then Windows freaks out. Windows is, again, this dude's like, a, he's a putz. He's, like, supposed to kind of be the comic relief, I guess. Um, but he's like the he's like the radio announcer. I guess every outpost needs like a Howard Stern knockoff. You need a radio broadcaster to transmit the radio signals. That's how that works. Yeah, but he's obviously incredibly sensitive about himself because he's freaked out. He's like, well, "Fuck you guys! Like, I'm a cool guy. You should want to hang out with me." Um, and but they split up the campaign. He never want to do that. They go outside. And this was the line that I that like hinged everything for me on this rewatch, where I was like, "That's what it is," which brought us to the realization of like, this movie stands up against so many other horror movies because the characters don't act like they're in a horror movie, because they're like, "Yeah, cool, we're gonna split up, blah 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 blah," and uh, and you're gonna need to go to my shack, and uh, they're like, "Well, why? Why would we need to go to your shack? weren't you the last one there?" And he's like, "I was the last one there, and I didn't leave the lights on." And he look, they look over at the shack, and the lights are on in mm-hmm. the shack. And it's just the way that Russell says it, where it's like the, I'm not, uh, oh, what was the line? I have it right here. Um, I didn't leave the lights on. Like, that could be like a fucking trailer line 
in The Conjuring 3. Yeah. You know, slow pan in, music swells, boom, you know something big's going to happen. It is so understated and delivered with with such accusation and suspicion that it just, it really elevates this to, I think, like, it feels more like a drama than uh, than a, a straight-up horror film. And I, I love it. it. But, like, it was, like, that moment watching it that I was like, oh, yeah, this is... This isn't... They're not acting like they're in a horror film, and that's why we're getting characters acting rationally, yeah. for the most part. This is where Ex- the, the thriller aspect of this movie really starts to come in. Yeah. We get the, the high suspense. Well, and it's like you can't even say that the characters react unpredictably, right? Like, Because even Wilford Brimley's right. reaction, as hilarious and over-the-top as it is, is like that is also like a reasonable way to react. Mm-hmm. You can't fault the guy for like freaking out and being like, we're all going to die. Uh, I'm going to prevent that thing from leaving here. Uh, so yeah, so this is going to be what it, and, and then you can't blame them for locking Brimley up afterwards right. because that's a reasonable reaction. I, the first time I saw this movie, I was convinced. I was like, well, the thing is in Wilford Brimley now, obviously yeah. I've seen cocoon. <laughs> So at this point, they're all outside, they're all splitting up, and they all, they rush back in, Nalls rushes back in, with, I think he's with Fuchs, possibly, and they're like, McCready's got it, McCready's the thing. Good suspicion, to be honest. Great great suspicion, I would think so too. Um, But McCready's a a grade A 80s badass. (laughs) Um... To the extent that he's just like, fuck you guys. Here's some dynamite. I'm going to blow all of us up unless you let me back in this outpost. He says it's below. He said it's like negative 100 outside <laughs> with wind chill. It's a whiteout. You, I don't yeah. know these things. Sure. I believe it. Um, yeah. So now they think McCready is the thing. And... Uh, and they've got that great, the great exchange between Keith, David, and McCready, and you really start to see here that Childs and McCready don't really don't like each other. Yeah, they ooh, they are at odds. That is putting it mildly. Am I miss? Because I've seen this movie a few times now, and I they give no real reason for that. No, I mean I think it's just masculine tension that is. You know, a classic eighties. There, I, I mean, I was thinking about it last night about the very noticeable presence or lack thereof of women in this movie Mm -hmm. is you know it's all men and very masculine men and just realizing that that you know john carpenter does write good characters but he kind of really only knows how to write men for the most part well, that's that's interesting. I mean, like, because what about Laurie Strode? Well, because he very actively needed help writing Laurie Strode when he set out to write Halloween. Uh, because, yeah, from Deborah Hill. Right, yeah. right. Because when he, he I've read many times that, you know, he went to Deborah Hill and was like, I want to make this female character the lead of my movie, but I don't know how to write female characters. So I need your, yeah. your help with that. And I think this is him being like, okay, I'm in my comfort zone here. I got all guys on board. I did read that at one point there was <clears throat> a female character, uh, but I believe the, uh, the actor got pregnant and then couldn't do the shoot. 
Uh, so they had to kind of reformat, but just and they named Keith David's character Childs in her honor. <laughs> I guess <laughs> he is the Childs. A very unfortunate joke. I'm sorry to all of our female listeners. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I I agree. I think I also think there's something to this the commentary of the fact that like no one wins in this movie. Yeah that I do think ultimately makes it... I think it ages the movie pretty well in terms of, like, a commentary on masculinity, that it's like, how does a movie where it's, like, all men are facing this extreme encounter with this creature from another planet that is so much smarter than them and and is adaptable, mm-hmm. which they are obviously not. Yeah. Um, and it's like, how does it end, spoiler alert, with everything blowing up? <laughs> And everyone pretty much being about to die. Yeah. So it's like when left in the hands of men, we we destroy ourselves. So I don't know. I think that commentary tracks. That feels very very twenty twenty applicable to me. <laughs> sure. There's all. I mean, there's also the thing that I've read in in multiple places that uh, people have kind of seen this as like an allegory for like the AIDS scare, with the whole thing of yeah. you know. This not knowing who has this this disease uh, and really it only being able to be found out when you test blood, when you test the blood of the quote unquote infected person, that's the only way you can kind of get down to it. And, you know, I know John Carpenter is like aware of that, but he didn't really set out to include that. But I think that that also might attribute to like having an entirely male cast that would track because I, I also think it's like that's what no never mind because i just thought of an exception to that i was gonna say i think like all the best horror has that le- that other level to it that you could add the that social, social commentary yeah. level and but i think sometimes it's, it's it's more fun when it's something like this where it's like not in it's not explicitly about one thing, so you can put whatever narrative you want on top of it. Right. But then I think on the other side of it, if it is explicitly about one thing, you get movies like Get Out mm-hmm. or Us, which I think are both... I, I love both of those movies. Right. Um, and so it's like, I do think that you can you can get something that is very applicable to, like, we're, we're making a deliberate metaphor for this thing and it's going to be a horror film, but also... I think at, what it means is that at its core, it's got to have something deeper than just scares. Yeah, for sure. If it wants to have that sort of longevity. Yeah. Um, so this is where they're like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna rip apart this we're gonna rip apart this next character, give an autopsy to him, and man, oh man, this defibrillator is <laughs> one of the funniest moves in this movie. It's horrifying. He's like, you know, putting the defibrillator on this dude, trying to get him to wake up the doctor. And his hands (laughs) crash through the chest cavity of this man. And this dude's chest, just like it grows teeth and chompa chompa crushes it, like bites off the doctor's arms. A very cartoonish chomp. It's so funny. They, these things look like the house plants from Mario. They're like, like he reaches and then he pulls his arms up and he's just got like little stump arms and they're bleeding out and he's just screaming at him. 
it's the most creature feature this movie gets. And to answer the question, this is my favorite version of the thing. This is the one that I, when I watch this movie, I always look forward to because it's the one, you know, it follows that nice rule of threes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's very much, you know, every time I watch this movie, this is never a scene that I forget about. So I always know it's coming when it starts. I'm like, Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> there's one, there's two, here comes the third. And it, it's, it's very satisfying. I did find, I forget, how much they actually show of the arms getting torn off. And that's a very visceral thing that is so, oh, oh, it's so satisfying as a horror fan. It keeps upping the ante though, because then right after that, he's looking at, he's screaming and looking at his, you know, stump arms. And then he, and then like this man's face is like growing and elongating and his neck is ripping and there's like fucking green tendrils coming out. And then you've got the fucking snake Donald Trump head that comes out of the chest. Um, and it's all, and it's moving. That's the other thing that's incredible to me is that it's like, it's all, the puppetry is like, you can tell it's a puppet. You can tell it's an animatronic, but it's, it's just like incredible to me that it's like, this is what we used to invest money in effects wise. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's an, I'm beating a dead horse and it's not it's not any sort of a, a hot take to say that it's like you look at something like the original Jurassic Park and you look at something like Jurassic World and there's just kind of like a what the fuck are we doing? Yeah. Like there's just because we gap. can do more doesn't mean we can do better. Yeah. And it's like this still looks so much better than so many other horror movies. Yeah. I mean, it really, you know, the. I I can see a lot of people making the argument that this, like the effects in this movie, look a a little aged. And I think they Mm -hmm. do when you're watching this in like HD. You can kind of see that, you know, it's very obviously not a real person. Like it doesn't look real, but that's part of the aesthetic choice of this movie is to to make this look kind of like otherworldly and kind of like everything about it looks kind of off. Yeah, it, there's something. There's an uncanny valley quality almost to even the the puppetry. Yeah, yeah. Which, whether intentional or unintentional, I think it's like it 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 doesn't affect the movie negatively for me. In fact, I think it affects it incredibly positively. Yeah, it, it it's uh, what part of what I love about this movie so much. Yeah. Next, we get blood test time. This is. From what John Carpenter has said, the entire reason he wanted to make this movie um, was for this setup alone. It's just a dynamite scene. Yeah. You want to explain it? Uh, So McCready says we're going to tie everybody down. (laughs) Yeah. Because he's because, you know, he's a smart guy. He likes chess. (laughs) The idea that, you know, this thing is going to come out to defend itself and so the the only way that we're going to be able to figure this out is by taking uh, a hot coil and we're going to run it under the uh, flamethrower for a minute. Very long minute. They take Very a long, long time to heat up that first coil. Yeah. And it really I want you to know. sets that tension of what's going to happen when they first start dunking. Um, and then they just... They go down the line and they draw blood and they start one by one dipping them in. Uh, some of them fizzle out with a lot of relief. 
I also, what I really like about this scene is how every time one of them fizzles, they're like, all right, let's take a break. Let's untie that person because they're good now. (laughs) So now we got to get them out, which it seems weird until we get down the line finally to one of them when the blood does react very strongly. And yeah, then Fuchs. Fuchs. And he, he, uh, basically, an arm shoots out of his blood dish, his petri dish, um, and then he starts vibrating like a 1990s cell phone, and <laughs> everyone else who is still tied up it just starts panicking, and the entire Holy room, shit. Oh, everyone it's... is screaming. It's so good because they're all still tied up. I love the fact that it wasn't the last person. There were still like three other people that needed to get tested. (laughs) But it's just like this thing lights up and man, it's, it's again, it's just like the dog where it's just like, I'm definitely not the thing. And then it goes to the the shot of the blood. (laughs) Thing shoots out, shoots back to Fuchs. Holy shit, Fuchs, you're the thing. And he's already like, fuck it, I'm changing. (laughs) It's so funny and incredible and and just like the yeah the effects seeing this dude change the acting is great because you can tell that a lot of this are just like the a lot of these are just actors in this situation uh that are like you know have prosthetics on and are having Mm -hmm. to like you know shake uncontrollably or whatever and it it, it's just wonderful the dedication is amazing yeah um so then they're like okay fuck we gotta light this dude up again which they do after they get some some a little bit of trouble from the flamethrower the flamethrower is like look i've been on i was told i was gonna get a union break soon like <laughs> give me my used me minutes. to heat a goddamn coil like you know you brought me out of retirement for this fuck you i'm going to sleep um and now they're like all right i guess we gotta we gotta blow this whole popsicle stand up this this whole place is going up uh and that's when we they start to go down to the I can't I'm sorry I'm blanking right now. Uh, they're like we've got to go blow up this thing's ship because the ship is like below the ice. Well, right? first they they go out to see Wilford Brimley who's been locked in the shack and boarded up in there. Casual noose yeah. hanging from the ceiling. Uh, and they go out there to test his blood, uh, and he is gone. He's. He's nowhere to be found. Because uh, he's a wild card. And you know what? <laughs> Actors that look like Wilford Brimley never get to play wild cards. <laughs> and that's why I love that character. <laughs> uh, and then they go down underneath uh, the base. They find uh, underneath there that all of the parts that have been disabled from the you know previous the disabled from the tractor and from the helicopter that we've gotten these ideas before that we thought oh he did it so no one could get out of there but then we find out he's been using it to build a spaceship and that's a really great turn that i didn't really process until this viewing of it that I don't think I processed have, it until, the last, until I watched it a couple months ago. This whole yeah. time, he could have been the thing uh, and basically been doing it to his whole plan that whole time was to build the spaceship. Yeah, because he's trying to get away, which is like that's part of the book where it's like they, this this movie differs a lot from the short story, uh, which is called Who Goes There, by the way. I finally found it. Um, but at the end, they end up you know, defeating the thing and realize that there was, uh, 
there was something underneath the the snow uh, a way of of the thing being able to get home and they're like oh shit thank god we stopped it from doing that uh and we're all a-okay i'm gonna go home and have sex with my wife you know (laughs) and instead you know this movie takes the complete nihilistic approach to the ending uh, but yeah, them finding out that they're that that this alien was like, yeah, I'm I'm trying to peace out and go. It's fucking cold here, guys. Like, I really am not about this life. <laughs> you saw me arrive. I was just supposed to stop and get some milk. I'm on my way home. This is really not what I want to be doing with my Sunday. Uh, and the other th- okay, so what happens next? We get a literal face palming. That's pretty cool. Where. Uh, <laughs> Gary, who we never talked about Gary that much. Gary's a fucking cuck. This guy is There's not wild. Much to talk about with him. Yeah, he's like, like, I just keep thinking, like, man, in like ten, like, if they had gotten like a 2020 Alan Ruck, he would have been a great Gary. Like, but yeah, so he gets the thing goes up to him and like puts its hand on his face and the fingers start going through the skin on his face. It's another visual that turns my stomach every time I see it. And a lot of it is because you definitely know that it's that actor with prosthetics on his face. Yeah. So he's getting to actually act what that would feel like to have his skin be penetrated by non-sharp fingers. And also the just the cold unnerving look on Wilford Brimley's face as he's doing it. Yeah. He's unaffected. Wild card. Oh, it's oh, that moment. It's a woof moment. Yeah. It's, it's so, my woof moment stamp. <laughs> <laughs> woof moment. <laughs> Classic Robotham woof. Um, it's a, it's a great moment to come from a man named Wilford. Uh, but yeah, they, they eventually get to a point where like, McCready's like, all right, I'm going to throw, I'm going to set a bomb. We're going to blow this shit up. And he's calling for Childs. He's calling for the other, for Nalls. He's calling for, you know, Gary and the other people who he came down there with, not getting any answers. And then, wouldn't you know it, this floor starts coming at him like a goddamn wave. And the thing is definitely under the floorboards. And it jumps up, and you get Megazord thing. And this is a thing that has parts of every single person and dog that it has taken DNA from over the course of the movie. And it is awful. (laughs) Other question. Okay. Does this look better or worse than Mitch McConnell? Um, Is that even a question? You don't have to answer. No, we all know. But no, it's, (laughs) I, I've just been like, yeah. I've had, again, with, the, with those memes going around, I've said White House on the Brain thinking about this movie. Um, but yeah, it's like, it looks so, so gross. And, so, and everything is wet. That's the other big yeah. thing about the thing. The thing <laughs> is always too cold wet. for things to be wet. It's always wet and there's always steam coming off of it. Ugh. Because of how fucking cold I guess it is. And it's like, this thing is, is shedding, you know... It's layers of skin and bone and and artery. I really hope people are trying to eat during listening to this podcast. <laughs> I, this is okay. So I have a, you know, knock on wood. I have a pretty strong stomach. I never really get that way with movies or TV shows where they're like, you know, oh, you can't, you know, I, I couldn't eat watching this. 
you know, it's like I'm ashamed to say like I've put away a bento bowl while watching the first 20 minutes of Saving Private Ryan before, <laughs> but like I genuinely can't eat while watching this movie. It's a little much. I don't want to drink when I watch this. Movie. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, hands on the couch, waiting for it to be over. Yeah, like I remember when when I showed this movie to Lauren a few months ago, even like. I mean, you know, both of us were kind of just in awe of just, like, how good this movie still looks and how everything still looks so so realistic to the extent of, like, you can tell that there's an actual tangible effect there and it's not just, like, a, a tennis ball. There's no Dobby. Yeah. But it's, it does also have that, like, the fact that they're even, like, what fucking, like... Vaseline did you have to rub all over this Kermit puppet to get it to have this, like, gross texture that it looks like just things are just coming off of it it's disgusting but it looks great um yeah so then they blow it up kaboom and the only people left are mccready and childs and well hang on a second because oh yeah no please we need to go back and address probably one of the most iconic lines in this movie where oh, yeah, whilst, yeah. whilst underground and the the Megazord thing has finally, uh, you know, popped up and is snarling and screeching and, and doing all of this horrible stuff just before McCready leaves and he throws the dynamite, the thing gets one final screech and he says, yeah, fuck you too. <laughs> and it is... It is the most iconic, like, action movie moment that this movie has. It's like, we needed to get one more in there. One more, yeah, like, but, big, manly moment and just throw it at you. <laughs> but again, it doesn't feel like... It doesn't feel like a close-up, you know, music swells yeah. action line. It feels like a throwaway line. Which is great. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. Ugh, it's brilliant. It's so good. It's so good. And I think um, I think in general, like the entire last hour of this movie just moves at a perfect pace. Yeah. I think I think the first like 40 minutes or so you can there are some moments that I guess you could get rid of that aren't incredibly vital to the story. But uh, that just the last hour, <clears throat> I guess probably once they realize that the thing has started to, or will take human form, I think is when this movie really gets into its groove. And then from there, it's just full speed ahead. And yeah. it's so that it's so satisfying once we get to that ending where it's just a very, it, for the most part, aside from a giant explosion, I have to imagine this was John Carpenter's like, let's explode everything period because between between the end of Halloween two and this, those are just some like giant escape from New York, which is right around this time too. Yeah. Giant unnecessary explosions, but they're, they're great to watch because they go on way too long. (laughs) Yeah. But it's just like, yeah, it's definitely just like, well, no, we use practical effects, baby. This movie's going to be huge. (laughs) Spoiler alert, it wasn't. But um, but yeah, and the the movie ends with Childs and McCready both kind of just laying there by the fire. They know like they're going to die. They they don't have any food. They don't have any water. There's no shelter. There's like, all right, well, this is this is going to be it. So I'm curious. Yeah. At the end of this movie. Do you think either one of them is the thing? Uh, so this will go into trivia. Okay. 
but again, if you don't want to, do you do you want to answer this question before you know trivia or after? Um, I I guess not knowing. I'm interested to know based on my answer. I do think one of them is a thing. I do too. I kind of think it's Childs. I definitely think it's Childs. Only because the way I the way that Kurt Russell laughs right before the end. His laugh is sort of the last sound or dialogue in the movie. And I think that is him kind of reckoning with the fact that he is the last person alive here and he's mm-hmm. not making it out. So he's just like, fuck it. This is it. I like that reasoning a lot. My mine was a lot was a lot more boring where it's like we've literally been with Kurt Russell for the last 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And, and granted, we don't know, which I still think is great about this movie, we don't know how the thing attaches itself to people. So we don't know very well. Like, it, the thing could have, you know, attached itself to McCready right after it was lit on fire. Yeah. Uh, but there's, a, there's just, like, the, the thing of, like, well, we haven't seen Childs in, like, 15 minutes. That, like, there have been so many opportunities where it's, like, he easily could have gotten infected. Mm-hmm. And it's also they, but they set up that last scene is so well written because it's like the first half of that conversation. All of Keith David's lines are very suspicious, and then it switches, and then all of Kurt Russell's lines are very suspicious. Yeah. yeah. So it ends with that, you know, which one? Which one is it? That was that. That has nothing. The trivia was literally just that John Carpenter has come out recently and said that at the end one of them is a thing. Cool. Um, I like, like, has I like that, that he does not verify which one. Yeah, because the video there was a video game of it that came out in 2012, um, and so he started doing a lot of press for this movie again um, for the 30-year anniversary and essentially was asked about all these things, you know, all these theories about the ending of the movie. And he said, yeah, that, the, that one of them is a thing at the end of this, uh, which I think is fucking awesome. Yes. Yeah. Why not? Great way um, to end it. Yeah. All right. Uh, so the other funny thing that happened immediately after this movie was done is uh, so because I watched it on like the Showtime thing for free because I did the, the one week trial, mm-hmm. which shows up on Amazon. So as soon as this movie ended on this like nihilistic, like, fuck, this is heavy as shit ending, it immediately started playing what was on my watch queue. Mm hmm. Which is, I've been watching this incredible documentary series called All or Nothing Tottenham Hotspur about the Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. <laughs> and so it just, like, it, like, went from, like, like, bomb, 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 like, this incredible Morricone score just being, like, and then we're going to talk about how this footballer goes from the outside. And it was just like, oh, God, this is totally, totally, like, dissonant, but both great things. Uh, great. Should we go into a couple of casting what-ifs sure. here? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, great. So the main stuff I found was for um, other people who were involved to possibly play McCready or Childs. Those are the other kind of really big ones that I found. So a few of these people. Tell me if you think this would have been a good movie. Okay. People they were considering for McCready. Christopher Walken. Nah. Jeff Bridges. Yeah, I got it. Nick Nolte. I so I saw that one. I guess so. I mean, 
eh. Another eh for me. Apparently, Sam Shepard showed interest but was never pursued, Ooh. which is heartbreaking to me because I think he would have been great. Um, Brian Dennehy. <laughs> Chris Christopherson. Too much. Uh, Ed Harris. Yeah, I can see Ed Harris. Yeah, and Scott Glenn. Nah. Yeah. There are a couple uh, standouts in there, but overall, I think Kurt Russell is is the choice for this. Yeah. Uh, and then people who were offered the role, or who were considered for the role of Childs, uh, Carl Weathers. <laughs> of course. Of course. Uh, Bernie Casey. Okay. And Isaac Hayes, because he had just worked with him on uh, on Escape from Ooh. New York. <laughs> Would have been so cool! <laughs> Would have been so cool. I mean, Keith David is is fantastic in this movie, but that's uh, mm-hmm. that's one I would be interested in, in seeing. They also really wanted to con- uh, uh, Carpenter really wanted to cast Donald Pleasance somewhere in this. I'm assuming probably as Blair. Yeah. Um, but he thought that it would be too recognizable of a name. Yeah, I get that. So he didn't, which which I'm I'm very okay with. Um, yeah, and then there were some other ones that I couldn't really find. The other, the the biggest thing of trivia about this movie is that it was essentially completely forgotten when it came out because it happened to have the unfortunate luck of coming out the same summer as E.T. And the same day as Blade Runner. And the same day as Blade Runner. So you get your dark science fiction masterpiece coming out that day and you get your feel-good family movie where people are like hey let's stop being fucking mean to aliens guys <laughs> like what are we doing this um, movie says and, no let's burn all of the aliens yeah, yeah. and i think for better <laughs> probably he you know what all those people reese's pieces <laughs> um so initially uh, Universal granted a $200,000 budget for creature effects because John Carpenter is very explicit with Universal and mm-hmm. said that we want to do a lot of practical effects. We're going to do a lot of creature stuff. So the budget was $200,000. Do you know how much the creature budget ended up being by the time this movie was done? I know how much the total budget was for this movie. Uh, All right, then we can play that now. What was the what was the budget of this movie? So I, I read that the total budget is $15 million. Yeah, that's correct. Um, so compared to, and just comparing that to other John Carpenter works, uh, Halloween was $375,000. So, again, math not my strong suit, but $15 million is a much bigger number than $375,000. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to guess, based on the full budget, I'm going to guess that the creature budget ended up being closer to 500 great call creature budget on this movie was 1.5 million (laughs) dollars imagine being 21 years old on a major motion picture that is being fucking billed by universal studios and you're like yo i'm going eight times over the budget fuck you homies (laughs) look it shows it's great. You know what? It stands the test of time. I would say that aside from probably, I was having this conversation with um, with Cole yesterday, 
about this movie who also loves this movie about whether this is the best creature design in any movie and he's and he brought up a good point where he said i think the only movie you could really compare it to is the creature design for the xenomorph in alien yeah which is probably more iconic than this but i definitely think that it's in the same it's definitely in the hall of fame it's in the conversation. Well, what I read was that John Carpenter, when setting out to make this movie, like one of the big issues that he had with Alien is that you could tell it was a person in the xenomorph suit. Mm. And so he wanted these, you know, he wanted his the creatures in this one to really feel so unnatural that they, you know, you couldn't really tell how they were moving. I love that. that. The puppetry is so kind of intricate. And I think... Um, I think I read that the final appearance of the thing took something like 25 puppeteers to, you know, operate. Jesus. Which is, <laughs> that's so many puppeteers. Yeah, a lot of it was, um, so so some of the stuff, like the dog scene, was actually Stan, uh, Stan Winston right. who did that, that scene. Um, because Rob Botton was apparently suffering from exhaustion at the time because of how much shit he had to do. So it was like the fact that you've gotten, you've got Rob Bowden, this 21 year old fucking maverick is coming in here doing this incredible work. And then you got Stan Winston on top of it. Who's like about to go and create the predator, like just coming off of like a great run himself. And, and yeah, so you've got two, two of probably the best creature design artists who have ever lived working together on this movie that like we've said, when it came out was like critically panned. Uh, do you want to guess how much this movie ended up making worldwide? Um, I know. I only know that it was a huge flop. Mm-hmm. Um, so of its, of its budget, I want to say it probably made 300,000. Oh, it's yeah. More much more than okay, that. Okay, good. Great. So it wasn't yeah. that much of a flop. Not that much of a flop. No, it made uh, 19 million total worldwide. Okay. It was not allowed to be released in several European countries because of how graphic it was. Okay, makes sense. <laughs> and I found this out. There are some movies that should never be played on, uh, like, on TV. On like, they just should never be played on no. TV. No. Uh, but when this movie is played on TV, they take out 20 minutes of scenes from the movie. And they add, which, again, I've, I've, I remember this. I've seen this before when I've watched this movie on, like, USA or something. Characters are welcome and as are things. But they they add a voiceover. Weird. Like, so you get a McCready narration. Weird. Which I think is also really incredible, again, that this movie came out the same day as Blade Runner. Yeah, because the studio forced Ridley Scott to include that narration mm-hmm. for Deckard that he ultimately removed from the director's cut, and I think to great effect because I I think the director's cut of that movie is the way to go. Yeah, like I don't think you should have the narration in that, and and the same thing in this. I think like there's something about this movie being on a smaller scale than Blade Runner was, mm-hmm. and and probably having much less riding on it than Blade Runner did because Ridley Scott was having to then one up himself after Alien which was so big that I think that there was a little bit more room for experimentation on this movie. Um, and I think ultimately to a, to a greater success, like I love Blade Runner. Don't get me wrong, but I do think if you were to like put a thing to my head 
and say which would you rather watch the thing or blade runner i'd go with the thing yeah blade runner feels a little long at times depending on what cut you, that you're watching yeah there's also some like uh, undefendable shit in blade runner <laughs> in terms of in terms of interacting with a robot lady <laughs> um but it's still a great movie uh yeah, they both have unfortunate, you know, reboots and or sequels. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I say that just to get under Cole's skin, who loves Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I will second your comment. <laughs> I think it looks great, and uh, oh, yeah, apparently Kevin Klein was also suggested by Universal for McCready, but John Carpenter was like, "Fuck no." <laughs> um, yeah, that's pretty much that's most of the stuff I have for this movie. Uh, what is, I guess, yeah, what is your favorite iteration of the thing? Um, I mean, I really love the, the first appearance of the dog when the, when the, the head starts coming out of the flower mouth thing, whatever we want to call it. Um, yeah, the Audrey two of things. (laughs) It's just, it's such a, cause it's, I mean, it's the first one that we see. So it, it really has to have a lot of impact and it does it has Mm -hmm. just the right amount where it's like we're not going to give you everything we're going to let you kind of like build on this like you think this is bad we're going to make it a lot worse but every time you see the thing it it gets worse and worse and it's starting with that one is really satisfying because it's just off-putting enough yeah the first time you see the dog's face, like, again, when you get that, like, yo, this dog seems sketchy, and then the other dog's like, yeah, that dog's sketchy, and then you go back, and the dog is like, oh, I'm fucking sketchy. <laughs> like, that first time where it's, like, definitely a dog puppet, but it's just, like, shaking, like, in, like profusely, and there's, like, a little blood coming out of its Yoda mouth. Like, that shit is so scary to me. <laughs> it's so unsettling. Uh... But yeah, it's I, there's something about that one as well, since it is the first one, that you see like six iterations of it within that first transformation, yeah. which is, yeah, very very off putting. That's a good call. Um, all right, let's do let's do Carpenter Hall of Fames. What's your top three Carpenter films? So, uh, top three. Would you like me to put them in order? Uh, if you would like to. I'm going to opt not to simply because each of these movies means something very different to me. But mm-hmm. it, it's it's kind of the trifecta of Halloween, The Thing, and The Fog. Um, I, I think they they all just work really well. And they each have a level of, of campiness to them that I don't think we talked about too much with this movie. Is that this, this is probably the darker of all of the carpenter movies yeah but it the just the campiness and some of the design and then some of the acting as we talked about it's he 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 straddles this line very well of like knowing when to go really dark and knowing when to be goofy and then going back to the really dark shit 
Like, mm-hmm. and and I think that comes through in like his music. If you listen to it, like it's it's a little laughable when you first hear some of his scores and how just how eighties synthy they are. But then the more you listen to them, you're like, okay, I'm getting a little uncomfortable here. And then they just keep going and building. So I think those three movies in in tandem with each other will we'll all sit on the the top three podium. Yeah. I don't yeah. I don't know if I would go so far as to be like because I think the reason that this movie stands out so much for me is that I don't I I actually think it's the exception to his campiness. Where it's like I think it's maybe the one time that John Carpenter kind of proves like I can do straight thriller. Mm-hmm. I can do just drama. Um I like I don't I don't find myself laughing a lot at this movie. Um, or like laughing with the characters in this movie. If anything, I kind of feel like it's one of the more solemn things that he's directed. And I love that about it. Um, but yeah, I would say the, the thing Halloween and escape, uh, escape from New York are my top three. Um, which we've done all three of those on this podcast. I'm really excited. I want to do like the taking of Pelham one, two, three, and I really want to do like uh, escape from LA. And like, I want to go back and do a lot of these. Um, I'll come back for the they live episode. Oh, please. I have not seen that movie. And I legit haven't seen that movie in probably 10 years. Um, yeah, that's what I got, man. That's the thing. Yeah, that is it. So Sam, like we always do at this time, do you recommend the thing? In 2020. Uh, I, of course, do, despite its um, both critical and financial failure. Uh, this movie is a certified classic. It's a, it's a cult classic for a reason. Um, and, you know, if you don't like gore or gross effects, then maybe it's not the movie for you. But overall, it stands up as a pretty good movie. Oh, yeah. 100%. I think this movie is incredible. I, it's a very yeah. It's one that it's like I've shown it to a few people now, at too mixed, uh, response. So again, it may be viewed as two hours of men on their bullshit, and you kind of got to be okay with that. But you know what? If you're cool with that and cool with kind of reading into it, and especially ready to check out an incredible creature design, then watch this movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, and Sam, do you have a modern analog to 1982's The Thing? So mine definitely loses some of the, um, you know, the the infection part of it. But uh, I, the more I was thinking about it, and this was not a movie that I loved when I first saw it, um, but I would be interested in watching again is 2017 It Comes at Night. Um, oh yeah which is another you know locked in paranoia movie Um, and I just found myself thinking about it a lot a lot of the kind of that movie is filled with a lot of very slow moving shots um, and a lot of tension building Um, so I think just in general if you're looking for something that's another uh, trapped in a box paranoia movie that one's definitely worth checking out at the very least for the camera work because it does a lot with editing and they do a lot of um, I appreciate the the, the kind of cur- courage of that movie. Yes. <laughs> with a lot of things that they that they do. I, I, I really like that movie a lot as well. Um, I'm going to recommend, uh, I've already recommended The Lighthouse on this show, which was my very obvious kind of like thing of like two hours of men on their bullshit. 
that's also two dudes trapped in quarantine slowly going crazy um but i love that movie and i will happily plug it again the other thing uh, i have been obsessed like capital o obsessed with uh the show on hbo called the third day um which is a very folk horror show there's only six episodes of it they also did a 12-hour interactive theater uh experience that they streamed live on facebook oh wow that I had on in the background for most of the day that it was happening. Lauren and I have been obsessed with this show. Um, it is truly phenomenal. It's Jude Law, Naomi Harris, Patty Constantine, Emily Watson. It's really, really remarkably well-made and has maybe my favorite uh, camera work and cinematography of anything that I have seen in the past couple of years. Like, it is remarkable looking. And if you're a fan... If, if you're in New York or in uh, London or wherever and you're familiar with the show Sleep No More uh, or the theater company Punch Drunk, uh, it, it is that company's kind of first foray into television. Oh, I actually didn't know that. Yeah. So it's a huh. lot of that's the interactive theater aspect kind of came cool. into that. Um, it's them. And then Dennis Kelly, who was the showrunner for the UK Utopia Got it. Uh, television show that just got remade here. Um, so it's, it is very fucked up. A lot of crazy imagery. Um, a lot of tripping on acid in the woods, if you're cool with that. Uh, but man, oh man, it's got some really cool shit in it. And the acting is phenomenal. Uh, and it is very, very creepy and anxiety inducing. Uh, so highly recommend that. Do you have anything that you want to plug? Uh, first, I guess I will plug, uh, a joint project that you and I have been working on, um, for, uh, channel 101 for those familiar with you, uh, with the, uh, format presentation. I'm not exactly sure what you would call it. Uh, have started a podcast competition called frequency 101, where they are, uh, looking for five minute, audio pilots uh, that they will put together and play each month. Uh, If you have a five-minute audio pilot that you would like to put together, they're always looking for more submissions. But uh, Ian and I, along with uh, Sam Miller, have all been working together on an audio pilot project called Tapped In. Uh, The first episode is up, so if you search Frequency 101 on your podcast players, you'll find it. Uh, And we got an episode two coming up in... Like a week and a half, maybe. Uh, oh, yay. We'll post about it. I was it. just going to ask when it's coming out. Uh, and then hopefully we'll get a, an episode three and keep going with it. But it's it's been really fun. Uh, I would ask you to describe the plot of it, but I, I think it's more fun if people go in cold. I agree. Especially since it's five-minute yeah, episodes. it's so short. Uh, it's such a fun concept, and it's such a joy to be a part of. When we when we evolve it into something bigger, hopefully, then maybe we'll we'll go into more detail about it. But uh, yeah, w- when the Duplass brothers pick <laughs> us up for our HBO anthology series, uh, it'll be dope. Yeah, so I want to plug that, and then of course, uh, like everyone else, I'm gonna plug the idea of voting. Um, <laughs> Go vote for God's sakes, because what Please. else? What else are we gonna do? Yeah, um, I'm gonna plug uh, voting as well. <laughs> we really <laughs> got to do this, folks. Um, I also have been doing a little bit of phone banking for Knock for Democracy at knockfordemocracy.org. They're a really great organization. They walk you through how to do it if you have anxiety making phone calls, like I did. Um, 
they not only give you a lot of tools ahead of time to do it, but also the first 20 minutes of every phone baking session are dedicated to how to work the technology, how to use the the um, information sheets that they give you, and how to kind of be prepared for um, any sort of caller that you may interact with. Uh, they're really, really great. And also, you heard at the beginning of this in the little uh, add-on that we've done, but check out The Vanishing Act. It's uh, If I don't plug it, then uh, I don't get to sleep in a bed. So uh, please listen to that if you can, and also check out Tapped In. Sam, always a pleasure. Always Come a back pleasure. anytime. For, well, do they live? Let's put that on the books. Yeah, we'll, we'll watch it sometime soon. Fantastic. All right. Thank you very much for listening, folks. Go watch the thing and have a very safe and spooky and mask-filled Halloween. I'm going to keep that in.